have an excellent show for you today, guys. It's his name is Ian Adair, and I met him. We met him from you, Matt. That's what right. an amazing, fun guy. <laughs> he had me at tacos. Everything is good in a taco. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. True. Of course. Yeah. And his nickname, truly, his son doesn't call him dad. He calls him honey. Yeah, he got it from his mom. Too funny. <laughs> he still does it. Like after all these years. <laughs> I mean, it, it's amazing. And he has this beautiful family. And his whole purpose in life is bringing awareness, understanding, and everything that wraps around caring for yourself and mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. It's a lot of fun uh, chatting with Ian. You know, he's perfectly nicknamed because he is just a, a really funny guy. He needs to have a funny nickname and uh, great advocate for. Uh, those who struggle with behavioral health and you know it, it is such an important topic and it's one that people don't love to talk about in all honesty and to have somebody uh, with his presence with his sense of humor with his um, kind of comfort level bringing that topic out in the open is incredibly important I'm glad we were able to spend some time on the topic I'm glad that we had Ian in and uh, yes of course, tacos. <laughs> right. And he brings confidence and humor and just an amazing kindness. And man, he's All a right, rock star. We need star. to stop complimenting Ian and just, just kick <laughs> I know, right to but it. But wait, good. wait. <laughs> he is an expert in his field because since Absolutely. then, he is everywhere. So one, two, three, let's go and enjoy, friends. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Stick a Fork in It. We have a very, very special guest today, a good friend of the program, a uh, good friend in the nonprofit industry, author, speaker, uh, fundraiser, and, and all sorts of other exciting Check. things, Check. Mr. Ian Adair. Ian, how are you doing today? Doing really well. How are you doing, my friend? Doing excellent. I was going to say a good friend of yours, too. Yes. Well, I, most people don't like to admit that, so oh, okay. I try to keep that on the Yeah, I, I know he sends out about 100 Christmas cards a year, <laughs> oh. so when I get on that list, I will be super excited. Yeah, oh. he's not yet in the top 100, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Gotcha. You're on your way in. <laughs> so, Ian, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, you know, obviously, we know you from your, your work with the Grace Point Foundation, but but let's, let's go back a little bit. How did you end up here in Tampa Bay in the in the role at Grace Point. Wow, yeah. Uh, so we've been in the Tampa Bay area for about five and a half years. Before that, I was in the Seattle area, so coast-to-coast movement there. Um, I was running uh, a equity and education foundation for a Hall of Fame baseball player, Edgar Martinez, uh, for about three and a half years. And then we, we grew that organization pretty big, and then Edgar decided to go back to baseball. Um, so we merged that foundation uh, with a much bigger organization that had the infrastructure to take it on and keep it growing and keep it moving. And then I joined T-Mobile's world headquarters as their senior program manager for diversity and inclusion, spent about a little over a year there. And then we just realized we were really missing Florida. My wife and I had met here about 17 years ago. Our uh, anniversary is actually coming up in a couple of weeks. So please send me a reminder about that. (laughs) Um, And so we we had had a long desire to come back. My son was having some health issues there that were kind of allergy based to the region that is uh, Seattle uh, in that area. So we made the move back here and uh, been enjoying it ever since and had the opportunity to, to join the foundation. It's something I was uh, extremely passionate about and personally connected to. And so I feel really good about the four and a half years that I've been there. And that was kind of the move and it's kind of the journey here. 
Awesome. So Grace Point is one of those great names where it could be almost anything. Yes. Um, so tell us what Grace Point does. It used to be called Mental Health Care, Inc. Very easy in the title to figure out what it is. Then there was a, a merger that was going to happen, I believe, about seven, eight years ago. And they'd come up with this name. And the name was going to incorporate the three different entities that uh, were going to make up this new organization. And, it, and, and the merger fell through. And so they decided to keep the name and move forward with it. So the rebrand uh, was always a little bit difficult because Grace Point is very much associated in the faith-based community. There's churches named Grace Point. Uh, there's other foundations named Grace Point. So we've tried to figure out a way to differentiate ourselves for people to understand that it's about mental health. It's about community mental health. We've been in the community of Tampa Bay for 74 years now. Wow. So I, mm. I, I don't want to say that we're the best kept secret in town because after 74 years, you don't want that to be your tagline. <laughs> but when you're serving uh, around 30,000, just over 30,000 people a year through 35 programs, 620, 630 staff, uh, we're trying to really establish our footprint in the mental health community, the behavioral health service community. Um, we're doing a lot of work uh, in, in with homelessness as well, affordable housing. So there's a, a number of things that Grace Point makes up. So Mental Health Care Inc. didn't really incorporate all those things. Mm -hmm. And so we feel Grace Point is a, a little bit better, um, you know, all-encompassing all title for what it is that we do every day. Yeah, well, and I know you know, you and I have had have plenty of these conversations, but there's there's so much stigma around mental health and, and care for those with mental illness that I think people don't really understand what a mental health care organization actually does on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, what, what kind of programs do you have? Right. It's, yeah, mental health. We say behavioral health care. That encompasses a lot. Then within behavioral health care, you have mental health care, and then that encompasses usually inpatient, uh, crisis inpatient, outpatient. Then there's a number of case management programs. So it, it's when you come to bake, uh, when you come to Grace Point, we like to say that we're the behavioral health emergency room for Hillsborough County. And when you get uh, a Baker Act, an involuntary commitment of usually three to five days on average, we want to find a soft handoff to another program that we have that can help you on what we, what we call your path to wellness so you can get to the place you want to be before a crisis happens. So there's a lot that kind of goes on there. And then within all of these things, we started noticing um, there's a lot of people that need help uh, with housing. So we have some housing programs and we're actually one of the largest providers of affordable housing in Hillsborough County with over, I believe, around 394 units of affordable housing. And we're constantly growing in that space as well. Um, we have a very robust homeless services division. So we start looking at the, the continuum of care for behavioral health is pretty wide. Mm -hmm. And as we start to help people in crisis, we start to try to address some of those other things that they're going through to get them to a better place. Yeah, I love that, you know, the the perspective of your organization is, is far more than just crisis intervention, right. right? You talk about that path to wellness beyond, but tell me what you do before a crisis situation. How do you work with, with clients in the community around uh, kind of preventing those situations? Right. Mental health crisis prevention is, is 
pr pretty non-existent in most communities. So the role of the foundation really takes on a lot of, of, of what you would call awareness, education, and prevention type stuff. So the foundation goes out and does mental health awareness with social groups, with corporations, uh, with any anybody who's actually looking to take in that kind of content because usually somebody's experienced something within an organization, somebody has a connection to it. Mental health today is being uh, a lot more spoken about in the media. It's, it's usually a trending topic in a lot of media, uh, a lot of social media, a lot of platforms. And so there's a lot of desire to learn more about that content and just have that discussion. At Grace Point, prevention is not what we do. We're all about uh, crisis intervention. We're all about services. So it's not a place that actually goes out uh, the organization itself and does prevention programs or anything in schools. Uh, that's more or less what the foundation does when we talk about awareness and prevention and availability of services, which most people don't know exist. Yeah, you mentioned trending topic, and it, it got me thinking, um, you know, you're kind of combining that and your work with Edgar, how sports can really be a point of inflection where people gain an understanding of something that they might not have crossed otherwise. And I, I think a lot about the Olympics this summer. Right. And I, I just have to imagine that was a big moment for, for you and the team over at Grace Point. What was that like to have that just burst into the, the public consciousness and come to the forefront. Well, and, and if you look at right before the Olympics, too, it, it happened with Naomi Osaka when she yeah. pulled out of the Grand Slam. So it was leading up to that kind of centered moment, that kind of inflection moment with uh, Simone Biles and everything that had been going on with USA Gymnastics um, up to that point. And then you start to see things um, – the documentaries that are coming out on Netflix, on, on HBO, Michael Phelps has been involved, Sean White's been involved, um, Olympians are coming out more, talking more about uh, their mental health struggles, their addiction struggles, professional athletes are coming out and talking about it. So to have it as a high profile um, event where people were really just addressing it, so many of us for the first time, especially in the sports world, was unique to add value to what we do. We'll, I'll take anybody talking about it as an opening point to get into an organization and say, these aren't just issues that athletes are dealing with, Hollywood's dealing with. Um, these are things that are going on with everyday people. Yeah. And we've yeah. seen, and, and I think people can, when they look back, we can see that Hollywood uh, professional sports have opened the door for us to talk about it a little bit more. But we have to also understand and take a step back we give air cover to those folks because they're under a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, you know, when Michael Phelps talks about the amount of pressure he was under to representing his country and being one of the greatest Olympians of all time, we kind of expect that somebody eventually under that amount of pressure, whether you're Michael Phelps, Simone Bile, uh, Naomi Osaka, that you might end up at some point falling short or cracking or just succumbing to the weight of that pressure. But we don't give that air cover to each other. Right. We don't give that air cover to students. We don't give that air cover to retired citizens. We don't give that air cover to other working professionals. Um, and we need to. Uh, and it's great that we're talking about it more. I think we started talking about it probably more openly in the media after Robin Williams died by suicide about yeah. six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and we started seeing high-profile suicides of Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. And so it's now become a trending topic to where when a traumatic event or when um, a high-profile death occurs, then we talk about it again. And then there's those gaps 
where I really worry, and that's what we try to do at the foundation, is really fill those gaps with, let's continue that discussion, because the best way to normalize uh, mental health is to have conversations about mental health. Um, Let's continue to address stigma, because we hear that term Mm -hmm. a lot. I like to say it's the coconut water of our industry. (laughs) We hear it a lot, but let's talk about it, because when you talk about stigma, you're talking about uh, shame. You're talking about the belief that you feel others have that they might not uh, believe that you're suffering from something. So back to your original question about the, the sports community and what's happened at the Olympics, it's raised the profile of mental health education. It's raised the profile of mental health awareness. And so anytime uh, I can piggyback on top of that and that help open the door that might have been closed uh, in the past, uh, we're definitely going to use that as an example to get in and, and start talking about how we can better care for each other and better have empathy towards each other mm-hmm. when we suffer uh, ourselves or as a caregiver in this industry. So you don't have to give me all the good stuff for free, but if we were to bring in Ian Adair to an organization or somebody, you know, somebody better from the Grace Point Foundation, whatever, um, <laughs> oh, geez. to talk about mental health, it just, just generally with, you know, with a business or, or whoever it is that, that you're raising awareness, what... What kind of things are you talking about? How are you how are you kind of broaching the topic? I think the first thing that I do anytime I talk about mental health is I want the people in the audience uh, to just see they're in a room that's safe to have that discussion. And I think you always have to establish safety when you bring up a personal uh, personal stories or, or, you, or you talk about something as, as deep and as emotionally triggering as mental health. So I always ask the group in the room, whether it's 15 or whether it's 1500, because I've done it for both, who in the room has been impacted in some way, meaning yourself, uh, your family, or your closest inner circle of four to five friends, who has been impacted by mental illness, addiction, or suicide? And what we find is, and I ask them to raise their hand or stand up, or because of the pandemic, uh, hit the Zoom reactionary <laughs> thumbs up right. button. And so it's interesting to see, and I, if I'm sharing my screen, I gotta take that off so I can see 50 little boxes share the, the reaction button from Zoom. Uh, and what we see is when we, when we ask that question, across the board, 90, 95 plus percent of the individuals in the room or on, on the Zoom call uh, affirm that they've been impacted in some way. Sure. And I think what that does right away is help everybody who sees that realize that they're in a safe space. There's usually a collective a breath of, of relief. Um, it takes a little bit of the tension's been taken out of the room. Uh, we see that we're around people with the shared experience. And that makes everything else you talk about after that just a little bit easier. And I think for the ones that don't hit the Zoom reaction button or raise their hand, it's not to shame them and make them feel like, what have, what have I missed out on? Because <laughs> they haven't missed out on anything. I mean, more the power to them. But I think for the ones that haven't identified that it's been part of their life in any way, they actually now see just how prevalent it is and just how important it is um, and just how many people have been impacted uh, out there by one of those three things. Um, the problem that I have with the mental health community, the mental health sector, and this is where I always get in trouble, is I feel like we have a horrible PR problem. I feel like the only thing we ever say over and over in a number of different ways, in a number of different graphics, in a number of different memes, 
is that one in five people will be impacted in some one in five people will be impacted by a mental health condition in a given in a given year in their lifetime we say 20 to 25 percent of people uh, have a diagnosable mental health condition and we're always throwing out these numbers that i think discount all the people that actually have a connection to it because if the next question i ask is who in the room has mental health that's five out of five people, not right. one in five. And so I don't like using the one in five because I've seen it actually happen. If you're in an audience and you look at the aisle in an audience, you always see that somebody in the aisle looks to the four people next to them and wonders <laughs> which one of those four it's going to be. <laughs> and they've completely discounted the rest of the information that's about to be given. The Humana Foundation and Feeding Tampa Bay work together to address food insecurity. Our goals are to strategically bring about healthy outcomes and create meaningful, sustainable change for our neighbors throughout the 10-county region that we serve. Learn more about it at feedingtampabay.org slash programs. Well, and it, it does a great job of kind of putting everyone on equal footing. Um, and, and one of the things that we love about our work is that we feel like food does the same thing. You know, we feel like uh, the opportunity to sit around the table together and share does that. And um, you know, it's kind of an awkward transition, but um, we, you know, with every podcast, Shannon always does a great job of bringing in a, a conversation, making it a little more personal. I tend to jump right into the tell me about your work kind of stuff. And we skipped over yes, Shannon's do. piece of it. So No, we're still having a conversation here and it's good. Um, you want to you want to shift gears a little bit? And I, I've known this guy for a while, so I'm not uh, I'm not the one to ask the questions about about Ian's background and <laughs> his food favorites and all that good stuff. Well, you mentioned your family, and we always talk about, you know, again, he mentioned around the table, and we want to know what your favorite meal around the table when you sit with your family. You know, you've lived on the other coast, which, you know, there's probably amazing foods that you've had over there, and of course here in Florida. What's your favorite meal for you and your family around a table? Wow, Um, that's a great question because being a large person, I enjoy food and all the comfort that it has (laughs) meant to me because for me growing up in a home with with a father with a drug addiction who left relatively early in my life left several times and then for the last time when I was 13 Mm -hmm. um, to grow up with with a mother who battled many illnesses I learned to cook to try to bring community and family together and I was always adopting anybody in the community four houses down somebody I met playing basketball or on the soccer field just adopt him to come over for dinner all the time so it seemed like remember those 80s commercials where you know they would always have the kids like what is your house having we're having stovetop stuffing and the kid would show up and the parents looking for their own child so that was that was me but you know when 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 asked about a favorite meal i always say 100 percent of the time thanksgiving dinner Mm. yeah not because of what's on the table but just because it's an opportunity to get people together. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes some of my closest friends are like, we're not just having another random Wednesday meal where we all get together. And I'm like, well, you can't duck me Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. Because you're contractually obligated to show up. Right. So it's, it's, it's basically what that meal represents. Mm-hmm. And, and that's getting people together. That's letting your guard down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just finding a time to reconnect with people mm-hmm. that you might not have uh, spent a little time away from. And so to me, that's always been my favorite meal. And I, and I actually, 
believe it or not, cook it several times a year. Yeah. So my son is growing up going like, what are you guys doing in the kitchen for so on? And my wife has always called me honey. My son, who's 11 years old, calls me honey <laughs> to this day. It was, his first words were dad, and the second word was honey. So his mother holds a lot of uh, ill will towards me because of that. <laughs> but what's, like, what's, honey. what's honey doing in the kitchen? Honey's making... <laughs> Thanksgiving meal. I that's love how, it. That's how my wife. And, and it's and, it's and, March twenty fourth. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's summer Thanksgiving meal. And, and the and the humorous part about it is my wife's from South Africa, where they obviously don't celebrate <laughs> Thanksgiving. So it's a whole new concept for her. So she's she's kind of been here now in this country and only associates uh, that meal with togetherness and community and comfort. And, yeah, and comfort. So it's the best comfort food, right? Oh, it, it is. There's there's nothing. Uh, low carb about what I cook for. <laughs> so what it, what do you cook? Gosh, oh, I tell you, um, everything. Uh, mashed potatoes, stuffing. I love I love every year trying to outdo how great my turkey is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I probably just lost a man card with a lot of my friends when I said that, but I love no, cooking no, no. for no. large. No. I, love, I love cooking for large groups of, of, of people. Um, my wife loves yams. Uh, mm-hmm. We have this, we have we have several different stuffings that we make. Uh, probably none of them are heart healthy, <laughs> but uh, it is all about comfort food. Mm-hmm. It is all about finding a way to keep people at a table for the longest amount of time to interact, laugh, talk. Yeah. Uh, uh-uh. You know, I, I constantly think my life is like a Seinfeld episode where you're constantly sitting in a diner somewhere just telling stories and cracking yeah. up. Yeah, and, and what you're explaining to me mentally, that takes me to warmth, comfort, happiness. You know, just all of that is what a good time with food brings you to anytime. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. Anytime, and, and I consider anytime around people that I truly care about, whether yeah. they're friends or family, that's self care to me, across yes. the board. So that's mental health, right? Yes, there. gathering your your people to you. Yeah. So other than that, what is your favorite food? Wow, away uh, from Thanksgiving, what is your away, favorite away from, meal? Away from Honey's Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's got to be because I I know I know if I don't say this, my wife and son are gonna be like you straight up lied on <laughs> stick a fork in it. Um, it's tacos and it's all things tacos. Oh, you can make ta- taco oh, can be anything, anytime, uh, any day, yeah. anywhere, I, all kinds. And I will say like we're having dinner tonight. And I'm walking out the door. And my wife's like, so I see you're throwing out to me. What are we having? And I'm like, we're having tacos, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, oh, why am I married to you? So, I mean, it's just something I've always thought was easy. Um, I mean, growing up, you know, on welfare and growing up very poor, you could always find anything to make a taco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could put anything in it. And mm-hmm. there wasn't just one type. And so I always... Um, look at places where we go to eat as you know I ranked them by how good their taco is there you go which is probably very unfair to whatever establishment it is I think it's not a Mexican restaurant but uh, <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, Brady's like, has this, this is terrible taco <laughs> yeah. Ooh. yeah so, so what's the best Tampa taco oh no come on you putting me on the hot <laughs> seat oh he my just God. threw somebody under the bus so. yeah um, <laughs> gosh uh, talking about names so I'm gonna I'm totally blanking on my favorite place it's in Wireglass uh, Wiregrass Mall uh, there's a, a great Mexican restaurant there that I love and I'm completely mm. blanking on what they I've do. been there too and I, I can't my parents oh, live yeah. right near there 
It's good. It's I'm so oh, happy gosh, that all of us are having the same <laughs> amnesia. Right. Uh, so I've completely lost out. So on I'm these. having the Florida uh, seasonal allergy I'll, thing right now. Yeah, so I, I got a, an excuse. I've completely lost any jo- chance look of sponsorship yeah. for this organization <laughs> because I was promoting their food. But you know what? I know you know what I'm talking about. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to mess it up. This is great radio. Yeah. Wait a second. We're gonna fix this in post. Is it Cantina Laredo? Catina Laredo. Yes, there you go. There oh, right their right chips there. and salsa and their margarita. Oh. Oof. So that's that's uh, yeah, that's kind of all things, all things tacos. Yeah, <laughs> taco Yum. Monday through Sunday. Yeah. Well, you can do breakfast tacos. You can do barbecue tacos. You can do fish tacos. There's mm-hmm. so many places you can. You, now you just went, now you went complete Bubba Gump on yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're completely. You derailed. We'll fix this in post. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's kind of entertaining, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba so, Gumpin. So you can go high end taco. What's your favorite? Like you got to run. You just want something real quick. You're going to one of those quick serve. You know, there's. You got your chipotles. You got your uh, Taco you know, Bell. Taco Bell's obviously. Oh, that's the hangover you know, spot of a life. See, I'm see in different parts of the country. There's different places, and I don't know that I've found that here mm-hmm. in Tampa yet. If I'm in the, if I'm in, I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma, the Midwest. Went to college in Missouri. So, I mean, there's there's places uh, Taco Cabana and uh, Taco Mayo and ta- I mean, there's all these. There's all these taco-themed places there. It seems like there's more taco choices, if you will, and <laughs> we are really running the marathon on this. <laughs> but, uh, I haven't We're not really letting found, it go. We're going to really drive this right into the ground. That, that grab-and-go <laughs> taco spot. But I, I look forward to the number of agencies that might hear this that want to solicit my my taco palate yeah. to figure out. Right? Where is Grace Point located where they can send yeah, it right. directly right. to your office? A, taco bus is your go-to. It's funny because there is such a regionalism to it, right? You go to, oh, you go to Los Angeles and there's 8 million different taco places right. and choices. And I used to live on the east coast of Florida and there was a place there, you know, it's right near Cocoa Beach. And so there's all these surfer taco places. Right. There's a place yeah. called De Kind Diego's. is out on the water and it had, you know, outside seating under thatch roof and the whole, de- just fantastic, right? But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that there's a signature Tampa taco. I, I don't, I mean, it sounds like a new event we need to hold. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Joint <laughs> fundraiser right here. There you go. <laughs> like a nonprofit people saving the world. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Just One so taco at a time. So you mentioned fundraisers, and you know, I know that's a, a big part of your work at Grace Point. Tell me, you know, how, what's what's the pitch? What's the way that you connect people into your mission and and invite them to to participate and be a part of it? I, I think the pitch for us is the connection that so many of us have to uh, somebody or ourselves that are in active recovery. Yeah, I once heard an expert say ninety to ninety five percent of people. So yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's, so it's nice, but it's something that we all a lot of us have and have a connection to, but. We don't talk about it enough, and so um, we like to bring in uh, local leaders to share their story of, um, you know, what they've gone through either themselves as a caregiver, um, and it's been great to, when I get out and speak, to have a couple of people always approach me afterwards and say, you know, I've been looking for an outlet to talk about what I went through or what I helped my son through or what I helped my daughter through 
or what I helped my parents through. And uh, it, it's a connector for so many of us now. And I'm, I'm so glad we have that ability to talk about it because it, it's my job to go out there and break down stigma each and every day. And we try to do that with our events. And I think the thing that we, we, we run up against, the wall we run up against is, and we, we talked about how we give athletes and we give celebrities air cover because we just feel eventually uh, they might experience something because of the weight, the pressure. Um, but everyday people, and, I, and I'll kind of reiterate who that is, it's, it's students, retired seniors, working professionals. We still fear when we disclose a mental health condition, uh, we still fear losing one of the three things that matters the most in our life, and that's our friends, our family, and our jobs. And so going out there each and every day and uh, trying to create vulnerable moments and, and share my own mental health journey. And, you know, I wrote a book where I shared other people's mental health journey and profiling people, whether they're uh, connected with our uh, community at Grace Point, whether they're a board member, a staff, we're starting to find more, uh, you know, kind of micro influencers in town and telling, having them tell their story, just finding a way for people to feel comfortable. And when they're in that place, tell their story. And that's a big part of what we do with our with our fundraising is those vulnerable moments of storytelling because we know stories can be incredibly powerful tools mm -hmm. to share a message and if you're going to take on something as enormous as stigma it takes powerful tools to do that and so that's a big part of how we bring our community together yeah you know there's something that really resonates with with what you're saying with what we've been doing with here at feeding tampa bay you know it's been what 20 months now of know pedal to the metal pandemic response and uh that's been a lot on our team at work but it's also you know the constant worry and conversations do i mask here do i do this how do i get my shot do does this person have their shot? how's you know all of the elements that have really kind of changed things for folks in the last two years we have noticed a strain on our employees that it is you know we try to be really open about it we we actually implemented last month a mental health day off we gave everybody yeah. a day that they had to take sometime in the next two months for for a wellness break like just take a day off or we'll pay you for it um we'll give you a little little bit of cash to go enjoy something um and and gave everybody a small bonus um and the idea is that we know people are struggling and we don't really know what what is in our toolkit to deal with it um are you seeing more of that and and how would you respond to to businesses and organizations that are uh not really accustomed to addressing that within their own teams i'm seeing a ton of that and the fact that you guys are doing that is incredible and i love that you're sharing it openly on a on a podcast and, and not just quietly behind doors because more people need to hear it um you know, I, I look at leadership. Leadership has taken uh, an incredible evolution over the last few years. I think so many of us in leadership roles grew up in a authoritarian or authoritative yes. leadership style. Mm -hmm. And talking about emotions, talking about feelings, uh, addressing why somebody may be hurting in the workplace or not themselves was 100% taboo, you know, five, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and any time beyond 10 years ago for sure. I think what we're seeing is in the workforce today, about 70% of the workforce today is under the age of 40, 
And what they're looking for in the company, what they're looking for in their leaders, what they're looking for from management, it's very different from what we got as the over 40 group of that. And I'm 47, so I've fallen definitely in that Gen X category uh, because we didn't feel comfortable disclosing anything. It was definitely that we are the suck it up generation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're rub the rep- some dirt on it. We're pre- <laughs> we're repre- we're repressed our feelings. Rub so- yeah, like you said, rub some dirt on it. Get back <laughs> in the game. Uh, you know, you're, you're feeling you're feeling down. Go for a run. Uh, going for a run does not fix or does not treat mental illness. It, it could be part of your treatment plan. It could be part of your wellness plan, but it doesn't stop depression. Um, so what are, what does the workforce want today? I mean, they, they want access to top technology because that's what they grew up with. They're digital natives. They want access to leadership. They want leadership to be vulnerable. They want to be able to have a voice. Um, they want mentorship, sponsorship. They want opportunities uh, to form connections. Uh, but they also want their organizations to care about their mental health and wellness. And what you're saying that uh, your organization did shows that. And, and that goes a long way with organizations because there's a tremendous amount of attrition out there yeah. uh, with people just thinking right away, you know, you haven't acknowledged this incredible 18 months we've been through, 20 months we've been through. I've been through a lot. Nobody's asked me about what we've been through. We have people that are in our organizations that so, somehow over the last 20 months became the sole earner in their household. Yeah. Somewhere over the last 20 months had to take care of possibly an aging relative or uh, somebody else that's gotten sick. Um, so there's a lot of weight on a lot of our staff. Um, we had to tell them for a period of time they had to be uh, teachers at home. Uh, we had to tell them for a period of time that they couldn't be around the people that they connected with and had emotional bonds with. Um, you know, if there's been a silver lining to this pandemic, it's that I think more people have experienced uh, feelings of isolation, uh, anxiety, depression, and now have a better sense of what people who struggle with the mental health illness go through each and every day. Um, we were told to be socially distant. But what the heck does that mean? I mean it, it's, it took the nonprofit community 10 years to believe that media could be social. <laughs> and now you're telling us we have to be socially distant. You're being generous by yeah, saying it's, 10 yeah, years. It's still, it's, still, it's still that. So, you know, uh, but what happened was we became emotionally distant because we didn't know what that was. Um, I think for the longest time, the group of people, and, and you can relate to this maybe or, or understand this, the group of people that most people in an organization just rolled their eyes about or didn't like were, were, there, were the single employees because they just didn't understand what it was to be a parent, didn't understand what it was to be a homeowner, didn't understand it was to take care of real responsibilities. But this is a group who we sent home. And they've never worked from home before. There's no social interaction there. There's no community there. And they started really feeling what isolation was. And people repeatedly come up to me and they're like, gosh, this pandemic has been unbelievable. And and the fact that I've never felt this way before, why, why would being isolated be so harmful to my mental health? And I go, well, let's take a step back. What's the number one punishment that we do in our prison system today? That's solitary confinement. There's a reason that's a punishment. And we just sent an entire workforce and put them in solitary confinement. And so what did we expect? 
So the way I see it is, and especially organizations for what we do, what Grace Point does, what Feeding Tampa Bay does, what other great agencies in our community do each and every day, is we're about to, I believe, experience a epidemic within this pandemic. And that's that the people that take care of people have seen so much yeah. in such a short period of time. Who's taking care of them? Yeah, for and, sure. And so our agencies, going back again to your original question, I always like to <laughs> really, <laughs> really right walk, walk, take the scenic walk a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, it's a half marathon for every single one. <laughs> said was, what, how was I today, right? Uh, <laughs> Favorite so, taco. Yeah, yeah, we're still back on tacos. <laughs> um, to go back to it was, you know, what are companies asking for and what are they needing? I, I think they need to understand is as long as they address it, as long as they are open about it, mm -hmm. as long as they understand that their employees are going through a lot, they're struggling, they're suffering, they don't have to know what every single person is going through. They just have to know that it's happening. Yeah. Because that's, that's the odds. It's happening. People are struggling. So to offer up opportunities to get employees together away from work, whether that's a volunteer opportunity, Serving others is a great way to feel better. It's a great part of your treatment plan. Uh, an opportunity to take a, a day off that's paid. An opportunity to do something where you can you know, provide them a gift card or provide them an opportunity to, to win something and, and raise camaraderie and, and raise morale. Mm -hmm. uh, recognize, re recognition is huge, a part of wellness. And that's something that our organization started like a month right before the pandemic really hit. And then we thought maybe we should table this. And I was a huge advocate saying, we can't table recognition <laughs> because <laughs> how can we have 620 staff and still have an antiquated employee of the month program? Uh, because I, I definitely know, because I see each and every day the amazing work so many people do in our organization, just like you see so many people do here, we should be recognizing 10 to 20 people a month. Right. And so yeah. you incorporate that and you recognize people in front of their peers and you start to see morale go up. You start to see job satisfaction go up. You start to see employee engagement go up. And so that's what organizations are just asking. What are some of those ways that we can acknowledge our folks better? What are some of those ways that we can address what we know is happening without having anyone have to feel they have to disclose everything? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that's what a lot of people are asking for today is just I know there's things we can do. Uh by the way, what are those? <laughs> and uh, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty easy for us to incorporate at, at, at what I like to say, no cost to low cost. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really nice to work more closely together organizationally over the past two years because one of the things that we even noticed very early on in this is we knew there was going to be a food emergency at the beginning of the pandemic, right? When people were confined to their houses, when uh, the supply chains is such a mess like it is and people just don't know. Uh, we saw the need skyrocket. We saw people out of employment. But we have said for a long time now, we felt like the second wave of the pandemic would be a mental health crisis. Yeah. And, and and that's why early on we kind of said, hey, let's let's make sure we're talking. Let's make sure we're uh, finding ways to, to stay connected and how can we offer resources so um you know i I'd, I'd love for you to share with our listeners if there's someone in their life um you know uh not asking for me asking for a friend uh, <laughs> who who might be struggling um and and could use some professional support for mental health what 
what avenues do they have? How do they go about seeking that? There's, there's a few things they can do. Um, what we've learned statistically is most people do not deal with a mental health condition or a challenge from the onset of when they start to experience it for eight to 10 years, eight to 10 years. Wow. So when they finally ask for help, it's a big deal. Um, and one of the things that we are historically bad about just as human beings is that when somebody that we really care about, somebody that we love, somebody that we're close to discloses something to us, we go into fix it mode and we want We want to fix them. And, you know, mental health is about consistent management of what's going on with you. It's not about drive through window fixing it. Um, and so our initial reaction usually isn't the best. Um, so, you know, when I talk to friends and family, when people disclose what's going on with them, they're not really looking at you to take three to five minutes out of your day on your way to your next <laughs> issue or problem <laughs> or work to fix it. All they want to do is to have you acknowledge it. So first and foremost, before we get into services and outlets, I like to tell people that if anyone discloses to you anything, let that just be there to listen. Uh, the best thing to say right away is nothing. Really listen to them, really hear them, and then acknowledge what they've been through and said, I believe you. I say this at a number of times, any opportunity I have on stage, I'll say, uh, people just want to know that you've heard them and, and that you're there. You don't need to fix anything. If you can be anything, it's a conduit to professional help. You know, we've all seen uh, enough enough things where we think we're on the go, ad hoc therapists. We're not. Uh, I, I've watched you know every season of Frasier. I'm not a licensed psychologist, um, so be a conduit to uh, to help and where to get help and how to find help. Uh, another part of that is I, I think what a lot of people forget is when people are, are struggling, um, they just, it's not, it's not that they're not asking you for help or advice or whatever. It's just they're working it out verbally as well and getting that out there. And so that's a big thing for them. And so your initial response is going to be huge. Um, you know, when people go through anything traumatic, when people lose people close to them, they're always inundated with, if you need anything, reach out to me. You know, uh, let me know what you need. And, uh, and and that lasts for about a week, maybe two. Get some good casseroles in there. Yeah, too, it's, it, it's about, yeah, it's about feeding. It's, it's about that initial proactive react, you know, proactive slash reactionary response to crisis. Mm -hmm. Who's usually around two months later, six months later, a year later, notices if that person's still suffering from grief and loss. Notices if they're engaged in things that they used to have a lot of energy and excitement for. Notices, you know, are they, uh, are they seeking any type of community, any type of engagement? Notices if uh, they're giving away things that used to mean a lot to them. Notices uh, if they're having trouble sleeping. And those are all signs of, of, of mental health issues. And so we have to be comfortable enough uh, in what we know about mental health, that when we see that, whether we're a manager, whether we're a friend, whether we're a family member, to say, I, I see that something's going on. Is there anything you want to talk about? How can I help? And then that way we're a better conduit to get them some help. Usually right after a traumatic experience, it's hard to do that. 
because they're still processing it. They're still working through their grief and loss. And so you really have to be around to see some of those things. I have managers all the time tell me, how can I tell if my people are, 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 are hurting for a Zoom call or for you know, any type of web-based call? And I was like, just like you can around a conference table, engagement, just like you can around a conference table is, how do they look? They look a little different than they normally are. Are they not as put together? Are they a little more disheveled? Do they not have their work together like they usually do? Um, there's a number of triggers that we can see and once we see them, we have to feel comfortable enough to reach out to them individually and say, you know, is there something going on? Let me know. And if you need a day to take care of some things or if you need to talk about what we can do in the workplace, because there's a number of accommodations that we can do. Yeah. Compressed work weeks, uh, flexible work schedule, non-traditional hours. There's days where people that are suffering have, uh, they're more active, they're more engaged, they feel more together. Let's work with them to do that. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America, a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. Awesome. And then uh, if, if someone comes to the point of maybe not crisis, but a need for intervention right. uh, how would you how would you walk with somebody through that yeah, so anyone struggling uh, luckily in our community there's there's a number of different avenues to take you know we have 211 which is great because you can actually go through call 211 and kind of let them know what you're struggling with and find out maybe which agency is the best for you um, grace point again we are crisis mental health uh, we are we consider ourselves you know, the mental health, the behavioral health emergency room. So understanding that when you come to a Baker Act facility, usually uh, you're in, in, a, in a crisis where you might hurt someone else or yourself. And so that's why you would, that's why you would be Baker Acted. But well, we do have an outpatient program. Uh, we do have the ability to evaluate and get people in uh, outpatient care. A great thing that uh, we've incorporated definitely since the pandemic is our use of and uh, integration of telehealth. So it's 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 a way for people who could be a working professional, could be across town, can't make it all the way to the east side of Tampa for an appointment and get back during their lunch break. You can grab your phone, your laptop, your iPad, and just go to a quiet place and be able to speak to a counselor or a therapist that way. And so there's a lot that's happened because of the pandemic that's made a connection to services better through telehealth services. They've, they've exploded mm -hmm. here in our community. Um, but yeah, I think the best way, first and foremost, especially if you have no education into the number of services available, is to call the 211 uh, number and kind of walk through where you might need help first. And let's get crisis dealt with first, and then where else we can help after that on whatever it is that we need to get you back on your path to wellness. Awesome. So, you know, I, I teased the beginning of the show and your introduction with uh, the fact that you're an author and a speaker and a comedian and a, you know, man of many talents. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that you have taken the time and had the opportunity to dive into uh, some of those other pieces of the work. You know, we can get so caught up in the day to day around the nonprofit world that um, I know you get 
hold in on all sorts of national speaking engagements and all the things like that. Share share with us a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, the opportunities you get when you're willing to first tell your own story. Um, and, and there and there's that's a double-edged sword sometimes because we need you to be vulnerable on stage several times a year. Wow, that's <laughs> not going to be exhausting at all. Um, I also 100% believe people take in information when we can change your change your mood, change your mindset a little bit. Um, I believe all professional development should have an all professional development should have an element of entertainment. And whether that's you so affectionately affectionately called me a comedian, uh, so uh, I, I owe you some money for that. That's, <laughs> I've been waiting for someone to give me that title for a while. But you know, I, I find that people absorb information differently when we can when we can make each other laugh. I think the thing that's made me an effective national speaker is all I do is go on stage and usually just point out the absurdity of human behavior. Uh, and we fertile up, ground there. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we find it, yeah, and, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, I do do that." And that's and and, and the nonprofit sector community is no different. There's a lot of things that we do that we just don't know why we do them. Uh, so it's been great to have those opportunities to go on those stages and those national conferences. Um, I embrace uh, you know Zoom and, and virtual conferences very early. Um, I'm very fortunate to, to run an agency and also have the opportunity to speak nationally and internationally. And so a lot of people are like, well, I'm just going to wait it out. And they're like, well, it's not going to last that long, two months, three months, four months. And so I was always the one that was willing just to go right into virtual and have those opportunities to say, um, let's embrace it. If that's what it's going to be for now, I'll embrace it. I mean, I, I would rather see me on stage live. That's just me great in my own papers uh, <laughs> to want to do that. But, you know, I found that I'm a very uh, effective speaker who still speaks with their hand. I'm like basically holding my hands down right now because <laughs> I don't want to hit the microphone. But you know, I'm very animated, you know, yeah. on Zoom. And, uh, you know, I like to laugh at my own jokes, not just because they're funny, but to prompt others. <laughs> uh, and so people need to know that you can talk about heavy issues, whether it's whether it's mental health, whether it's uh, hunger, whether it's uh, you know social services, whether it's youth development, whether it's social justice, we we need to be able to address everything in, in a mindset that is positive. That's positive. We need to be able to to see that there's ways to communicate with each other. That's not always about yelling or, or confrontational or negative. Um, and that's what I want to do. I've had interviews stopped. Literally, podcast interviews, radio interviews stopped. Because they're like, do you want to really be this energetic <laughs> on the air? I, I'd like you to be sad. Yeah, yeah we need you to tone it down. And I'm like, that's, wow. it, it's, no. it's, it, it's been yeah. unbelievable to me that that's happened. And all that's done is have me amp it up even more. Yeah. Because nobody's going to listen to a monotone teacher from a Peanuts cartoon read off statistics about mental health or, or suicide or addiction. That's not a way to get the point across. No. People need uh, to, to be woken up to something and they need analogies to something and they need to feel connected to something. They need to know they're, uh, they're in a place where they're around other people who have been through it. You know, the, the most absurd part about mental health awareness is if we already know, simple Google search, uh, 
that 20, 25% of people out there are suffering from a diagnosed mental health condition. Yet every single person suffering feels alone. Right. That, that doesn't even make, that, uh, that's, that's, that's right. the absurdity of human behavior. Mm-hmm. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's like, what, 90 million Americans or something right. like that, it's, right? It's, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and people always, and so you always have to kind of be put on repeat and, and let people know. And, I, and, it, and you look at it in my book, you look at it in other people's book, it's like you have to let, constantly let people know that they are not alone. Because you feel like you have to constantly let them know because you know that's what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I and that's what I, I, I've enjoyed, no matter what the avenue is, whether it's uh, a virtual event, whether it's a live event. Um, you know, my willingness to do that, uh, to share personally, my willingness to share other stories, and my willingness to point out human behavior, allows us to relax a little bit, allows us to take in the information a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we digest it more when we walk out of there if we've had a little bit of fun, too. Yeah, it, it's such an obvious and yet underappreciated point that you're making because I think all of us and basically everyone who's ever done any professional development can tell you, like, two-thirds of the things I went to made me want to put a pencil through my eye. Right. But <laughs> right. at the end of the day, Space it doesn't test. have to be that way. No. You know, it really doesn't. And and the ones that we remember are the ones who made us feel something, right? Whether right. it's laughter, mm-hmm. you know, and if you need me to stand behind you with big cards that say applause <laughs> or laughter, I can do that next time. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, the idea is that you're trying to get people to engage. Yeah. Right. And, and if you don't have those extra elements to whatever it is you're presenting, you're always going to struggle with that. And and so I've had the same kind of experiences as you where, you know, I try to bring humor into conversations around food insecurity and people are like, that's a very serious topic. Mm, Are you sure we should be, you know, making light of the fact I'm not making light of it. I'm trying to bring attention to it. I'm bringing light to it. And, and it seems like you've found that balance of, of being able to have a good time with a serious topic and still open up people's minds to it. It's, it's interesting. People come up to me after a, a fundraiser, after an event, and they, and they actually share that they feel almost a little bit ashamed or they feel a little bit embarrassed that they had fun learning about the importance of mental health. Uh, I'm like, good. <laughs> you, now you're going to walk away from that and keep talking about it. Right. And I've hosted all Congrats, kinds. Congrats, you got the point. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you. <laughs> you win a ticket to next year's event. Yay. So it there's there's so many vehicles for nonprofits to, to try to get their point across. We, we do it with sporting events, whether it's fishing, clay shooting, walks, runs, golf tournaments. Right. And a lot of times what we hope is the continuation of a conversation gets lost in the event. And it's just like, oh, that was a great event. That was a fun golf tournament. Well, what's mm-hmm. the golf tournament about? I can't remember. Well, let <laughs> yeah. me remind you. It was suicide awareness. <laughs> yeah. So, and I got you know, something cheap at an auction. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so it's, it, yeah. and, you're trying to, and you're trying to find a way to connect. And what we found yeah. was people had the strongest connection to people who were vulnerable and authentic on stage. And they yeah. walked away with, they, sometimes they forgot there was an auction. Sometimes they forgot there was a raffle. Because we all have to have our avenues for revenue. Right. Because we're fundraisers. We, ha- we have mm-hmm. to con- continually raise funds for our programs to, to survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. But when you found that connection or that opportunity to say, I, I get it now. You know, I- they put somebody on stage that just resonated with me. They put mm-hmm. somebody on stage that I had a tremendous amount of professional respect for, but I had no idea what they were suffering from personally. 
and they walk away and they continue to talk about that experience. And by the time that event comes around the next year, they're super excited for it. Yeah. And so that's what we've done with our Stronger Than Stigma event. It's end up, it's just end up being that event that really provides a lot of people an opportunity to say, I, I get it. And, I, and I'm glad we're, we're storytelling to address something because I know if there's 300 people in the room or if there's three people in the room, uh, they're going to walk away thinking, I've either suffered from something and now I realize there's avenues to get involved or I've suffered from something and I've been inspired by somebody else dealing with it and I think I'm ready to deal with it myself. So, you know, as we kind of wind down the podcast, I think I've learned a lot about approaches to addressing mental health. Um, If there's something that you want to leave our listeners with, a piece of advice, a piece of, um, you know, just a, 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 maybe a perspective changer or whatever. What, what is it that if you could have, you know, like the Tim Ferriss question, right? If you had a billboard <laughs> that everyone in the world could see, what would you put on it? You just tried to mentors me, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say, um, mental health is just as important as physical health. Uh, yeah. read twice for full effect. <laughs> yeah. Right back at you, Tim. <laughs> um, you know, I say all the time that uh, mental health needs more uh, advocates, activists, and champions. And if any of this content resonated with you, you have an opportunity to be one of those. Um, companies need to realize that mental health is just important as physical health. It's the number one reason for loss of productivity and absenteeism in the workplace today, more so than all chronic conditions combined. So even if you're uncomfortable with the human aspect of it, there's a balance sheet aspect of it as well. And sometimes you have to learn what that is to, to say what that is and prove what that is for some people to get it. And, and I, I hate that that has to be part of it, but oh, I have to address it from all sides. And if, if that's what it takes to convince people that they should start worrying about the mental health and wellness of their employees, then that's what it takes. Um, for leaders, I, I, I just simply saying, uh, if you have an opportunity to be vulnerable and share, whether it's uh, a story personally related to you, whether it's something that you feel comfortable talking about, active recovery, whether it's about a caregiver, when leaders share and when are vulnerable, that's the only way employees are going to feel comfortable to share or realize that when they go through something, they're in a safe environment to disclose and are around people that care about them and they can get the help that they need. Yeah. Awesome. Shannon, did I leave anything out? Ian gave us a list no, of he did. acceptable we have a, we questions have we could ask him. Right? So. The boundaries. <laughs> Ian, is there any, where can people find information on your projects, your book? Yeah, I, the easiest way to, to find anything about Grace Point Foundation, first of all, is just yes. gracepointfoundation.org. Okay. Um, we have a number of social media sites where it's, it's just our job we feel at the foundation is to consistently provide value to whoever's looking for information about mental health and all aspects of mental health. I think for any company looking to jump and get involved and and they're kind of going back and forth, wavering, kind of like ready to jump into a double dutch jump rope, (laughs) like how am I gonna jump in and be part of this? I just say luckily for us that there is a mental health awareness day and or month or week almost everywhere on the calendar Mm -hmm. and just start sharing information the internet is rich with it social media is rich with it 
just start sharing it internally, whether mm-hmm. it's on Yammer or Slack or, or an internal website or an intranet that your organization uses, or straight up HR billboard. Uh, there's a way to share because you have to slowly disseminate the information for an employee base to understand that that you actually care and that you're we're becoming an organization whether we you know publicly said it or not that wants their employees to feel safe to talk about mental health first and foremost everything starts with feeling safe in the workplace to share and disclose so that's what i would say i think define me or learn anything about me it's easy i live most of my life on social media as uh, matt knows um ian m adair on twitter and instagram i had to put in my middle initial because there's some famous uh as a magician in canada believe it or not (laughs) found out in 2010 this guy took all my social media cred early but now i completely destroy him and dominate him there you go now we're we're pretending that's not your previous career yeah Yeah, previous profession yeah i mean i'm you know i'm a fundraiser so we have to pull money out of a hat all the time matt (laughs) but um so it's pretty easy to find me i tell people all the time I'm a family person, first and foremost. I'm very different at home. There's not a little stage with an open mic at home. I'm not telling jokes. Uh, uh, you know, Texting me after 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock is probably not the best thing to do. But if you DM me on Twitter or Instagram you know, after 11, I'll probably surprise you and respond, which I almost <laughs> always do because I always have – I've had trouble sleeping for a long time. But uh, – you know, I've had people DM me at one in the morning going, just checking to see if this is true. And I'm like, right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm here. What do you need? Yeah. So I, you I think, so that's, I think Grace Point's easy to, is a little bit easier to find. Uh, uh-huh. Grace, uh, Grace Point, like, again, uh, I, I believe it's been amazing to work with people that are so passionately care about the mental health and wellness of our, our community. You know, we're, we're again, we run over uh, 30,000 people through our programs and services each and every year, and we're here as a community benefit. Um, the people that run those programs are some of the best people I've ever worked with in my life, so tremendously uh, excited to be affiliated with them. And the foundation's job is to support uh, the programs of Grace Point, uh, create awareness about mental health in our community, uh, and then to raise money to keep those programs going. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to all get together and meet out for tacos soon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're backing Thanks, up honey. on lunchtime. I mean, uh, <laughs> hey, that is, there is nothing better than your son running through Target screaming, honey, honey, come here. And I'll just be standing next to a <laughs> random tacos. woman. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, who's that kid talking to? I'm like, that kid's got game. He's talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> and they're just like, what is going on? I'm like, that's just. Uh, nickname he's had for me his whole, his whole life and it's just something I want to keep hopefully forever or until it's not cool so that could be next week yeah so, how old is he again he's 11 years old about to be 12 in a, in a couple of months so I love it the fact I love that it. that's every morning you know you know good morning honey how was your sleep it's like wow I keep, love keep, it don't stop I mean, if, you want, if you want me to pay for college you are not stopping yep. I need yep. that he's hit he's gonna roll out that morning. honey all the time especially right. when he wants money when right. he has a car exactly yeah <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.